and Grandpa, and Uncle Kenny, and Val next door, and my best buddy Steve's dad, and my teacher Miss Finch's boyfriend, and Jess Rayner's dad, who everybody called Chimp because one of the other miners once said he'd rather shoot coal with a monkey than be partnered up with Clive Rayner, all went back in the mines and dug some more coal. The tunnels were what bothered me. I knew certain animals lived underground, groundhogs and moles and snakes, but I couldn't picture men down there. The first time I came across the picture of the prairie dog town was the Christmas morning I got the book. I walked over to my dad, who was sitting in his favorite chair smoking a cigarette, drinking a cup of coffee, and casting glances I didn't understand at my mother, who was sitting on the couch with her bare legs curled up underneath her bathrobe and a short, shiny pink nightgown Santa had brought for her lying across her lap. He was wearing a bathrobe, too, a gray one over a pair of gray pajamas. The only time I ever saw him wear pajamas was Christmas morning, and once when he had the flu and my mom made him miss a day of work. They didn't suit him. He wore them uncomfortably, almost in an embarrassed way, as if he was trying to pull off a disguise. I stood in front of him holding my new book while he finished looking at Mom through a few wisps of smoke, left hanging in the air after the last puff of his cigarette. I opened the book to the page with a prairie dog town and asked him if that was what a mine looked like. He took the book from me and studied it in the serious way he approached all books and all questions, then looked at me with his hooded, brittle blue eyes that were two sparks of startling color in a man otherwise lacking all color. Sometimes when I watched him in the evening washing up after work in my mother's green and yellow kitchen, stripped to the waist, his arms in black sink water up to his elbows. I thought of him as a person who had been cut out of a black-and-white photo and unknowingly pasted into the real world, and like the subjects in a black-and-white photo, he seemed to have more clarity to him than people with lots of color. He was pale skin, black hair, gray stubble, gray work pants, black coal dirt, gray cigarette smoke climbing from between his fingers or his lips, and a blue-gray tattoo etched beneath the dark hair on his hard left forearm of a glaring man with a bushy mustache nailed to a cross the way Jesus was in church. The man was ugly and frightening, but eerily fascinating to me, especially when my dad took me on his lap and traced his outline in his skin and repeated the word Stalin. It's very much close to this, he replied in his broken English. Except this. See? At the sound of his command, my sister Jolene got up from the play tea set she was arranging on the floor and toddled over to see the book, too. Her dozens of new dress-up bracelets and necklaces made of plastic gold and silver beads clicking against each other as she walked. Dad pointed to the many escape routes the prairie dogs had made from their underground world to the world on top. We don't have this, he told us. We have one way in and one way out. I had my Wonders of Nature book with me at the kitchen table when Gertie blew. I was leafing through its pages while I was eating a late breakfast and might have even been looking at the prairie dogs and thinking of my dad at the precise moment when he would have turned his head toward the roar of the fireball 
before he was incinerated. Or maybe he never saw it coming. Maybe he was buried instantly by tons of earth without warning. Maybe his bones were broken, his organs crushed, his senses obliterated, his existence erased before he had a chance to understand what was happening. But I doubt it. He had been a miner his entire adult life, and like all miners, he understood the language of the coal face. Crackles, hisses, sighs, pops, squeaks, creaks, groans, gurgles. Each noise meant something to them. A methane leak that could be ignited, an underground water source that could flood a shaft, a weak section of ceiling that was about to cave in. In response to the slightest tap of a shovel, the wall spoke back to them. I'm sure when it found itself about to be destroyed, it shuddered and screamed in a way they all recognized. I was in afternoon kindergarten, so I got to spend my mornings at home. I was concentrating on a bowl of alphabet cereal, trying to spell my name with the sugary letters, being frustrated by the lack of a V. Jolene was in her high chair, drawing a picture with her big girl spoon and the applesauce she had spread all over her tray. She had a cold, and Mom was sneaking up behind her with a bottle of red cough syrup and a teaspoon. The explosion came first. An enormous underground thunder that shook our house and shattered our windows in a spectacular musical instant, with a sound like a million glass bells ringing all at once. Mom dropped her teaspoon, and it hit the table, where the vibrations bounced it across the formica, leaving a trail of bright red drops like a nosebleed. Her face went ashen as all around us cupboard doors sprang open and dishes fell out. Pictures jumped off walls, canned goods tumbled off shelves and rolled across the floor. Then all movement and all sound ended as abruptly as it had begun. An absolute quiet filled the room that was every bit as loud as the explosion. It made my ears ring, and I clapped my hands over them protectively, somehow understanding that the silence was even worse. Jolene began to cry. Mom didn't notice. She stared straight ahead at the wall where Dad's most prized possession had hung for my entire life. A portrait of a glowering king with a mustache that drooped to his chin, wearing regal silks and a simple hammered metal crown that looked like a child might have fashioned it out of an old can and some cheap birthstones. It was the only object he had been able to salvage from the remains of his family's farm in Ukraine after the war. Supreme Sovereign Vladimir the Great, the little gold plaque at the bottom of the frame read. Supreme Sovereign of what? Val asked my mom once. Our kitchen, she told him. Now the portrait lay face down in the midst of a scattering of glass shards. I waited to see what Mom's reaction would be. Vladimir was sacred to Dad, and so was the massive gold frame he had bought with his first paycheck working in the Illinois coal fields years before he came east to Pennsylvania. Her eyes didn't leave the picture, and I realized she wasn't even seeing it. She was paralyzed with fear, waiting for something else. None of us had ever heard the sound before, but when it finally came... We instinctively knew it meant death. It was a low, moaning wail that rose to a shriek, eerily human, 
yet inhumanly immense, as if the earth itself were crying out in pain. Mom's eyes filled with tears, and her mouth began to move. I couldn't hear her voice over the scream of the siren, but I could read her lips. She didn't say Dad's name or the name of anyone else she knew working the morning shift. She simply said, The men. Before I knew it was happening, she reached out and grabbed me, knocking over my chair. She hoisted Jolene onto her hip and dragged me along behind her by my arm. We went running out the front door, stepping over toppled furniture and crunching through broken window glass spread all over the carpet. One by one, the women of Coal Run joined us. Women I knew well. Women I hardly knew at all. Women my mom liked, women she didn't like. Old and young, fat and thin, pretty and plain. Some pregnant, some not. Some in house dresses, some wearing jeans and cotton blouses like my mom. They dashed out of their homes and stopped suddenly, as if an invisible door had been slammed shut in front of them. They clutched the shoulders and arms of their children, or breakfast dishes they had been washing or laundry they had been folding. They all stared in the same direction, at a spot two miles distant, impossible to see from our homes, but now it was marked by a thin cloud of black smoke seeping lazily across the blue sky. I searched the tilted faces, and for a moment all their surface differences were stripped away, and they were nothing but the daughters and sisters and wives and mothers of miners. One woman screamed like a girl in a scary movie. One woman groaned and collapsed to the ground. But these were the only signs of hysteria. The rest rushed with shell-shocked responsibility.